Well, good morning. Welcome again to Missio Church. It's a joy to be able to gather together with all of God's people in this place on the Lord's Day. Um, and we're going to spend some time now looking at God's Word. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them out. We are continuing through our series, The Christ of Christmas. So we've taken a break from our, um, our walk through the Psalms, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, we're spending this Advent season considering uh, the identity, the nature of this Christ of Christmas. And so, uh, as has been the past two weeks, this morning will be a bit of a tour of Scripture um, to consider uh, this particular aspect we're looking at this morning. Our first week, we looked at the fact that Christ, as our mediator, is... Uh, prophet, priest, and king. Our great prophet speaks God's word to us. Uh, our priest who uh, stands and makes sacrifice uh, for sin on our behalf. And king who rules over us and guides us to his heavenly home. And last week, uh, Levi um, opened the scriptures and looked at the fact that Christ is truly God. This was no mere prophet. This was no mere priest, not a, simply a moral example or a great teacher, but uh, certainly and truly God. This morning, we're going to look at the fact that this Christ, while being truly God, is truly human. The Christ of Christmas is truly human. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come to you now in the name of your son, Jesus, and we ask for your aid, your help as we open your word. We pray that uh, by your spirit, you would open our hearts and minds and ears um, to see, uh, to hear, to understand um, who Jesus is. Reveal your son to us. Reveal his power, his majesty, his humility, his love. And may we respond in faith and trust. So Father, I pray that you would accomplish that for which you are sending forth your word this morning. And now may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. Our Lord and God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder what it is that sets the Christmas season apart from the rest of the year for you. In other words, what is it that makes the Christmas season so special or so significant for you or your family? Perhaps for some of you, it's the, the fact that at this time of year, you get to uh, have gatherings of family and friends with uh, people for whom you don't often get together because perhaps they live out of town, but this time of year affords the opportunity to get together and celebrate with, with those dear ones, with those loved ones. Um, perhaps for some of you, it's, it's trudging out into the snow, uh, bow saw in hand, and cutting down that choice evergreen that inevitably will not fit in your living room once you get it in there. 
For some of you, it's, it's uh, making Christmas cookies or perhaps decorating while Bing Crosby sings White Christmas in the background. And I, I definitely know that for some of you, it is watching the 115 Hallmark movies that all have the exact same storyline. There's no question in my mind. But, but I wonder, what thing, if removed from this time of year, would, would maybe cheapen it or, or make it seem less exciting or, or special or significant? What is it that really makes this time of year this time of year for you? And I'd like us to consider this morning as, as we think through the word, um, one thing apart from which there would be absolutely no reason to celebrate Christmas. And, and it might surprise you, and, and such a statement may seem uh, maybe like a little ill-fitting for the people of God, maybe a, a bit irreverent for, for people who worship God Almighty, but apart from the fact that Christ came and was truly human, you and I would have no reason to celebrate Christmas. Let me take that a step further. Apart from the fact that Christ, who was truly God, took on humanity and became truly human, you and I would have no reason whatsoever to gather each week as the people of God to worship God. We should just empty this place out, uh, put it up for sale, hope we get something for it. Because there is, the scriptures declare, there is no Christianity apart from a truly human Jesus. Second John, verse seven. This is, this is the beloved disciple, one who uh, was with Jesus uh, and then went on to teach about Jesus after his death and resurrection. This is what the beloved disciple had to say. Second John, verse seven, says this. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Deceivers. Liars. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceive, the deceiver and the Antichrist. He doesn't really try to carve a middle path for anyone there, does he? You're a liar, a deceiver, the Antichrist, if you say that Jesus was not truly human. That's pretty clear. There's no Christianity without the humanity of Jesus. So was this one who was certainly and truly God, his, his titles, his, uh, his self-references that, that Levi all pointed out, was he also truly human? And the apostles taught it repeatedly. John chapter 1, verse 14. Levi read this verse last week in reference to Christ's deity. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. And the word, talking about Jesus, who was in the beginning with the Father, so we're talking about one who is truly God, and the word 
became flesh. Took on humanity, became truly human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, the presence of God in humanity. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. Verses four and five. The apostle Paul declares this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent his son, truly divine, to be born of a woman, truly human. So the apostolic witness, and we could just continue through the passages, the apostolic witness is clear, Jesus is truly human. But not only is the apostolic witness clear, the life experiences of Jesus teach us that Jesus was truly human. I want us to think about this. First, consider the fact that Jesus had limited knowledge. In Mark chapter 9, verse 21, Jesus has his attention brought to a young boy who is convulsing and foaming at the mouth. Just a a terrible scene uh, for a father to watch. And Jesus asked this question of the father. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has this been happening to him? But surely you know Jesus. Mark chapter 13, just a a few chapters later. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus is talking about God um, redeeming and gathering his peoples from the four corners of the earth. And in doing so, he admits this in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. Nor the sun, but only the Father. Jesus was a man who lived with some uncertainties. He had limited knowledge as you and I do. He felt anger. In Mark chapter 10, records the disciples, or rather people bringing um, children to Jesus and the disciples trying to, to stop all this. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, it says this, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant He was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. If we were to flip over and read the account in Mark chapter 11, we would see Jesus literally flipping tables in the temple, chasing and throwing people out of God's house, creating this very chaotic, unsettled scene out of anger that people were robbing God 
of his glory. And we often think of anger as sinful. No, not inherently. A pastor named Mark Jones writes, not expressing anger in the presence of injustice is not a sign of godliness, but rather of moral weakness. Jesus felt anger. He knew overwhelming sorrow. He was overcome by grief several times throughout his life on earth. He saw the plight of people in their sin. In Luke chapter 19, Luke records this for us. It says he was coming near to Jerusalem and saw the city. He wept over it. He said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He was grieved by what Jerusalem and the people there would experience of God's judgment and punishment. We know that his emotions were, were just rent and torn when faced with the death of a close friend. And the, and the subsequent misery that, that death wrought on the family and friends of Lazarus. John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. John chapter 11. Beginning with verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. Jesus is walking into a scene where everybody's a mess, right? What does it say? He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus felt the anguish of death. Jesus felt anguish and sorrow and wept as you and I do. Jesus was overcome by exhaustion and thirst and hunger. John chapter 4 records this. He says, so he came to a town of Samaria near Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. His legs were tired. He was thirsty. He was sitting beside the well waiting to get a drink. He was overcome with exhaustion and thirst and hunger. Jesus' body experienced fatigue as you and I do. He suffered rejection and abandonment. In the midst of his ministry, 
In the early chapters, chapter 3, verse 21, Mark records and tells us that his family tried to actually restrain Jesus, physically restrain Jesus, thinking he was out of his mind. They, his own family did not believe him. And in the roughest hours of his life, in those closing moments when, while he was being detained by, by Jewish authorities, those who had been closest to him, those who had traveled with him for years, those who had eaten countless meals with him, those who, um, with, with, uh, with whom he shared life's deepest uh, moments, those who confided in him and in, in whom he confided, they fled from him in self-preservation. Jesus knew loneliness and betrayal as you and I do. And he experienced temptation. Matthew 4 recounts a particular temptation Jesus endured um, by Satan himself. He was tempted to skirt around suffering and hardship, the, the path that God had laid out for him on the way to the cross. Turn these stones into bread, Satan said. All the kingdoms of the earth can be yours. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Just as you and I live each day facing sinful enticements, Jesus walked day after day facing temptation. Yet, he never gave in. This is the one distinction in his humanity where he's unlike us. He endured the full measure of temptation. He perhaps experienced temptation more fully than we do because he never gave into it. He saw it to its end. He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He never succumbed. He never gave in to temptation. So the experience of Jesus shows us his anger, his, his sorrow, his weakness, his rejection and betrayal, his temptation, all things that you and I experience day after day, week after week. He was truly human. And in addition... Not only the apostolic witness and the life experiences of Jesus, but the church down through the ages has, has seen it to be very important to confess that not only is Jesus truly God, he was and is truly human. There's something called the Chalcedonian Creed, written about 1,500 years ago now. It says this, it says, Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord... We're all united on this. We teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us, as regards his manhood, like us in all respects, apart from sin. Was he truly human? He was. 
the apostolic witness about Jesus, the life experiences of Jesus, the confession of the church, all teach us that he was truly human. But what's the big deal? Right? Shouldn't we just celebrate the fact that Jesus is truly God and he loves us? I mean, isn't this humanity stuff just a hurdle, just kind of an annoyance, a mosquito that, that kind of distracts us from worshiping God? I mean, after all, that's what we're called to do. We as the people of God are called to worship God. So what's this humanity business? Why bother ourselves with the idea that Jesus postured himself as a servant taking on humanity. Why does it matter? I'm not sure if you've ever um, heard of or watched the television show um, Undercover Boss. Uh, In each episode, there's a a different CEO or some other company corporate bigwig of a particular company like DirecTV or ADT Security, 7-Eleven, Johnny Rockets, all those kind of things. And, and this CEO or this other corporate bigwig will leave the comforts of their corner office, their leather chair, and they'll go and they'll work on the ground in their particular company. They disguise their appearance and they work entry-level jobs. They're baking, they're installing, they're doing things they have no idea how to do. But they're, they're working with uh, their company at all levels, at, at the lowest levels. They're, they're understanding the day-to-day inner workings of their, their corporation. They're, they're getting to know the challenges of employees. They're getting to know the perceptions of the business from people in the community. And then each show ends with them reporting on, on how their discovery um, has prompted them to change some things in their business. They, they promise changes. They, they, um, they also lavishly reward certain employees who worked, whose work has long gone unnoticed. Uh, they give them uh, promotions and vacations and huge just piles of cash. But the executive is always portrayed at the end as having a better understanding of the plight of the employee, but also of the needs and desires of the the customers that they provide service for. And and thus, they're better able to posture the company to, to serve both employee and customer. And I, I think that's actually not a terrible picture of the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus enables him, Jesus, to comfort us in our weakness. Some of us believe in a mighty God. We believe in a God who who sits enthroned, but we have a really hard time believing that he really knows what we're feeling or or maybe even really cares what's going on in, in our everyday circumstances. He sits enthroned, but he sits enthroned really, really far off. But you know what? The humanity of Jesus tells us that Jesus has gone undercover to know what you and I experience. He's he's entered the inner day-to-day workings 
of our lives. He's understood our plight. He's understood the challenges that we face. So as we deal with the incredibly painful loss of loved ones, as we face uncertainty about our future, as we're overcome by exhaustion, as we face betrayal at the hands of those closest to us, perhaps even a spouse, we can face these things knowing that we have someone interceding for us who humbled himself to experience the hurt, the hardship, the harassment that life in this fallen world affords. Are you grief-stricken by the loss of someone close to you? So was he. Are you exhausted? So was he. Are you lacking? So was he. Are you suffering? So did he. Have you been rejected and abandoned by friends and family? So was he. Do you feel overcome with temptation? He faced it. So, point is, take the weight of life and bring it to him. Don't carry it alone. He experienced it, and not only experienced, but overcame it so that he could intercede on your behalf. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 addresses this very thing. Verses 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does that mean? Verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He desires to meet your trouble with grace. He stands ready to meet your desperation with assurances of love. He waits for you to draw near so that he can grant you help in whatever unimaginable circumstance it is that you're facing. He didn't merely encounter these things, he overcame them so that he can aid us and intercede for us and help us. So the humanity of Jesus calls us to call out to him who's experienced these things. Have you called out to him in your grief in your exhaustion, in your suffering, or have you isolated yourself and turned to other things to, to distract you or to ease your burden, to dull your pain? 
You see, Jesus' humanity is good news we should celebrate. But not only does the humanity of Jesus comfort us in our weakness, the humanity of Jesus guides us in our mission as the church. We've been called to represent Jesus, you and I, as the people of God. The the church is the embassy on earth for King Jesus. We speak for him, we represent him, and as such, we take our cues from him. So the question is, what does Jesus' humanity teach us about our life and mission in the world? First of all, it teaches us that we should value humanity because Jesus dignified humanity with his own humanity. The fact that the one who was truly divine, purposed to take on true humanity, it buttresses our belief, it solidifies our belief in the dignity of each human person. The lyrics to O Holy Night just illustrate this so well, proclaim it. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. This is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, till he became human and the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. God has expressed the value of humanity by entering into it. This means that the image of God is to be recognized and celebrated in everyone. The image of God is to be celebrated and upheld and valued in everyone. In the unborn. In people with a different melanin count in their skin. In individuals from different economic or social groups from us in people with, with cognitive or, or developmental uh, disabilities or delays. Attempts to, to, to belittle this in people or practices that diminish this value in people is unacceptable. And the, the humanity of Jesus, especially during Advent, shows us the ugliness of abortion, the monstrosity of racism, the disgusting practice of objectifying another human being for our sexual gratification. Those things during Advent should just be an especially clear focus and harden our resolve against these things. May our God posture us to value those around us who share in our Savior's humanity. What do we learn about life and mission in this world? Well, as our Savior wept over Jerusalem and the coming judgment, we too should feel and express deep sorrow for the spiritual blindness around us. Jesus became truly human that he might give his life as a ransom for many. And, and we shouldn't be so concerned with our own well-being, our own needs, and our own ne- desires that we neglect the welfare of those around us. Having seen their de- desperate state, we should, we should mourn and pray for them as we saw Jesus doing in Luke 19. 
Who are the people for whom you are mourning? Who are the people? What are the names of the people that you are calling out to God for mercy? Who are you going to God on behalf of? You see, the, the humanity of Jesus calls us to this. May our God give us our Savior's compassion for those around us in spiritual chains. Finally, we should enter into the suffering of others. Jesus set aside his divine prerogatives. Josh read from Philippians 2, verses 5 and following, and are called to worship. But he set aside his divine prerogatives to be called our brother. What he gave up was unimaginably greater than anything, any comfort or privilege we could consider forfeiting in the service of others. Jesus, though God, humbled himself by taking on humanity, taking the form of, servant, of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He left the throne room of God to live here. Are we constantly considering how to serve the people around us? Or are we simply looking to get ahead, to create comfort, to assure ourselves of some um, future financial security ahead of us? When was the last time you, you sat with somebody in a, in a difficult situation, in a hardship, and listened to their hurts and their fears? Ask them questions about what's going on. Husbands, have you been praying for and seeking the interests of your wife, laying aside your own interests to serve her, lay down your life for her? See, the humanity of Jesus teaches us, guides us in our mission in these things. Jesus' humanity is good news we should celebrate so the humanity of Jesus, it comforts us in our weakness. It guides us in our mission. But perhaps most gloriously, the humanity of Jesus assures us of our redemption. See, the humanity of Jesus allows us to experience the grace of God, which we would not be able to experience otherwise. Jesus was really and truly one with us that we might really and truly be one with him. He assumed our nature to rescue us from our fallen condition, from sin and from God's judgment handed down against us. What do I mean? Well, if Jesus Christ was not truly human, salvation would be beyond our reach. If Jesus was not truly human, salvation would be out of the question for you and for me. As individuals, we are unable and unwilling to meet God's demands, to submit to God's law. We need a substitute, a substitute acceptable to God. And, and that substitute has to perfectly fulfill God's law. But that, that substitute has to be God. Otherwise, the value of the sacrifice wouldn't be infinite. So we need a substitute who's God, but we also need a substitute who's a sinless human. Sinless because otherwise, if, if it were a sinful substitute, that substitute would be, would be penalized for his own sins. 
and human because only a human could pay the physical and spiritual death penalty prescribed for the, by the law. This is Jesus. One great early church teacher remarked, what he has not assumed, he has not healed. He became man in full so that he might save man to the full. John Huss, the great reformer before the Reformation, exhorted God's people, rejoice, the immortal God is born that mortal men may live in eternity. The humanity of Jesus assures us of our redemption because he is God and he offers a sinless sacrifice to the Father on our behalf. Friend, do you have assurance of eternal life? I'm not talking about something you're doing in your life to make sure that's happening. Get that out of your mind. That's silly. Not going to happen. The only assurance of eternal life you have is rooted in the humanity of Jesus who came and lived a sinless life on our behalf. Place your hope and trust in him. You see, Jesus' humanity is good news we should celebrate. The humanity of Jesus comforts us in our weakness. It, it guides us in our mission, and it assures us of our redemption. In light of the fact that Jesus, who is certainly and truly God, also is Jesus, who is certainly and truly human, we can and should celebrate the humanity of Jesus. Would you pray with me?